0: We come now to the 14th and final uh, message in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. We have called this series, Struggling Well, the joy of the Christian journey, and I hope you've seen joy all through this letter. Uh, struggling well in community, that Christ be proclaimed no matter what happens, without fear. That was chapter 1, struggling well with humility by looking to Christ, by our own effort or not, Uh, and two good examples. That was chapter 2, And then through no confidence in ourselves, through faith in Christ, through our eyes on the true prize, that was chapter 3, and struggling well in everyday difficulties in a good thought life. And now we come to this last 14th message, struggling well despite bad obstacles. Have you ever stubbed your toe? If you'd have known it was there, you wouldn't have stubbed it, right? Right? And sometimes you stub your toe and you go, oh, I remember that that was there now, right? Uh, Struggling well, having joy in the Christian journey, is dealing with the surprises that come to us, both good and bad, because life is filled with surprises because guess what? None of us knows the future. And so, As Paul wraps up this letter, he's going to look at this idea of struggling well despite bad obstacles, but also even where there are uh, things that are positive that happen to him. So, would you stand for the reading of Scripture this morning? Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please have a seat. Let's look first at verses 10 through 13, where we discover that struggling well means learning how to live with hardship. Now, one way in which living with hardship makes struggling really difficult is when we are living with hardship in isolation, when we're all alone. And Paul was experiencing a bit of that in terms of his lack of hearing from the church at Philippi. He'd not heard from them uh, because You remember, Epaphroditus had gotten ill on his journey from Philippi to Rome in bringing their gift to him. And so the fact that he hadn't heard from them makes him feel very alone. And it likely also meant that he was suffering financially. So Paul is overjoyed. This idea, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He's overjoyed that the Philippians have revived their concern for him. Though technically it's not a revival of concern as much as it was the lack of opportunity to show that concern. Uh, he rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you have revived your concern for me. This word revived is like a, uh, a dead plant uh, that's only mostly dead in the words of the princess bride. And it comes back to flower. Have you ever had a plant that did that? I thought it was dead. And now it's, it's back to life. And that's the kind of word that's being used here. You've, you've revived. It's, it's back. We're back. We're back together. He's overjoyed at it. Now, Paul does not want to make the Philippians feel guilty about this delayed gift, because for him, he has learned how to struggle well in whatever situation he faces. Look at verse… Uh, Uh, 11. He's not trying to cry about his troubles here to the Philippians. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I don't want you to get worried about that. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, (laughs) there's a process of learning that goes on in life regarding hardship, and I've noticed that believers have tended toward one of two directions. There's a good direction we can go and there's a bad direction we can go. Uh, We can go in this bad direction. That is, we learn, we get programmed for struggling poorly and respond poorly to those things that stub our toe in the dark, those surprises that we meet up with. Or we can learn or get programmed in our minds for struggling well. This is true for whatever situation. It doesn't depend on the situation for whether we struggle well or poorly. It depends on what we have learned. And what Paul is doing here in this last section is saying, I have personally appropriated and applied everything that I've been teaching you in this letter up to this point. And I want to show you how I have personally applied it. When he says, I've learned in whatever situation, I am to be content, what kinds of situations did Paul face? They weren't just stubs of the toe in the dark. They were things like being beaten and left for dead, being shipwrecked, receiving 40 lashes minus one, imprisonment, isolation lack of food. He says here in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. This word that says being brought low is I know how to be humbled. It's the same word that Paul uses in chapter 2 verse 8 where he says that Jesus humbled Himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He's been humbled. When he says, I know how to be brought low, that suggests it's not just something that happens to you. He's not saying, well, I've been brought low before. No, he says, I know how. I know how to deal with being brought low. I know how to do this. It's not just something that happens to you. It's about how to know to recognize the hardship and then to know how to respond to it. To not be taken completely by surprise for it. Paul's Paul's saying, I know how to cope with being brought low. Now, some Christians have a martyr complex. They think that being brought low is is actually a good thing. Paul's not saying that being brought low is good. He doesn't have a martyr complex. And by the way, all real martyrs do not have a martyr complex. (laughs) It's not something that they're seeking. Paul would far rather not be brought low, but what he is saying is that it will not destroy his joy for being brought low to happen. He's ready. He's prepared. He has learned. He knows what to do. Brought low means to be in a situation that is out of your control, beyond your resources, In a situation where more things are happening to you than you can keep track of. Where no one, except God, would have all the requisite resources for the crisis. Ever been out of your depth like that? Paul says, I've been there and I know how to handle it. I know how to struggle well when I am brought low. Then he says in verse 12, I also know how to abound. Knowing how again suggests that there's something hard about knowing how to abound, and there is. When we are in places of abounding, it is easy to lose sight of a bunch of things. (laughs) We lose sight of the fact that there's other people who are not abounding and that we need to look after them. We tend to get pretty self-centered when we're abounding, when all's going well for us. It's easy to lose sight that the abounding is not necessarily because we're doing more right than when we're not abounding. There's sometimes Christians have this scale thing. Well, am I brought low? I guess that means God's punished me. Am I abounding? I guess I'm doing something great or right. And we tend to think that success equals holiness, not so when we're in a place of abounding it's easy to lose sight that the abounding is not always going to continue we can we can think that things are just going to keep going on the way they always have au contraire (laughs) when we're in a place of abounding it's easy to lose sight that the abounding is not just necessarily God's stamp of approval that we're doing just fine. There is a temptation to pride when we're abounding and others aren't to go, oh, I guess I must be doing something right. God's looking down with favor on me. Paul says, I know how to do this. When I am abounding, I know how to abound. What's involved in knowing how to abound? Well, it involves a humility, just as much as being brought low does. It involves a thankfulness, a gratitude, the recognition that there's a God in heaven who's sovereignly looking over me. There is also an awareness in knowing how to abound of the needs around me, Maybe God is strengthening me in this moment of abounding in order that I may be a blessing to someone else or be in a better way on mission for Christ. What is involved in knowing how to abound? A humility, a thankfulness, awareness of needs around me, and a practice of the presence of God. Do you remember how Paul said it in chapter… in Just a few verses earlier in chapter 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And then last week, when you think upon things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, think about those things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace of God with you, God of peace with you. So Paul adds at the second half of verse 12, in any and every circumstance. All encompassing. That's just remarkable, isn't it? To come to a place of struggling well by Putting into practice the things that Paul has described in this letter, chapters one through four, to say, I can say honestly in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Uh, When he says, I've learned the secret, it's not something you just catch. There's some mystery here. It's not something that you're born with. Paul's not saying, well, there's there's people that are born optimists and people that are born pessimists, and the optimists have it all over the past. No, he's not saying this. He's saying that the principles of struggling well are things that he has incorporated into his life, and it requires some process. When he says, I have learned, it means there has been some past actions that have continuing results in his life. And then he mentions these four circumstances. Plenty, that means plenty of resources, especially food. Hunger, that's a lack of resources, especially food. More generally, he knows about abundance, times when he's got his cup full, and times of need when he's beyond his capacity. Well, How do we acquire such a capacity? How can we do what Paul does here? How can we in any and every circumstance know how to be brought low, know how to abound, how? Paul describes in one sentence how we can do it in verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What are the all things there? The all things are... The things of abounding and the things of being brought low. The good things that happen and that we see as life's blessings and the things that are life's challenges and difficulties. The stubs on the toe as well as avoiding the Legos in the middle of the night. (laughs) In in all these ways, what is the way we do it? It is through Christ who gives us strength. The all things here is the capacity to struggle well, even when things are completely messed up, even when we have no resources, even when we are beyond human capacity. Now, we're being in the Olympics, and today's the Super Bowl. I have to say that because I have to tell you that this is not a sports verse. Just write that down in your notes or in your Bible on the side, Pastor Scott says, this is not a sports verse, okay? To make it a sports verse, like, well, I wouldn't have won the gold medal except Christ strengthened me and now I have… I, I understand the general principle of acknowledging God in all of things and that Christ's strength and all of that, but to make it a sports verse is a bit sacrilegious. And frankly, it is a bit insulting to all those Christians before us who have truly suffered deprivations as believers, even to the point of death. The all things here is not the turning of defeat into victory in a game. It is the strength to endure, to struggle well when things do not go well for our plans. I want to hear the loser in the Super Bowl say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, even the fact that I missed the field goal. You see, that that would be a better sports application to the verse. It is through Christ. He is the one who strengthens us. Only our union with Christ is going to get you through some circumstances. That's the only thing you can have, hold on to. This is why we must, we simply must think upon Him as the one who is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Now, as we think about struggling well means learning how to live with hardship, I wanna share two applications. There's many applications here, but I wanna share two specific ones with you. One is that there is an application here in how we raise our children. We need our children to be able to live with not getting everything they want, even if we can supply it. Parents, you may now elbow your children at this point. (laughs) The child that grows up not knowing anything lacking will not know how to struggle, how to be brought low. We also need to teach our children how to handle triumph and success with humility as well. And that doesn't mean that we diminish their accomplishment. There's a lot of parents that think that they're humbling their children by saying, well, that's not that big a deal, when in fact it is a big deal. You should say, it is a big deal. But let's deal with this with the strength that the Lord supplies and honoring and worshiping Him in all of it. Directing the child to the means of all of our accomplishments being the Lord Jesus. We can do deprivation through him who strengthens us. We can do success and abundance through him who strengthens us. The second application that I want to share with you is we live in a day when if people do not get what they want, they become angry angry enough to do harm to others. The rise in violence in our culture is appalling. From domestic violence, and by the way, child abuse is uh, dramatically uh, on the rise, from domestic violence to road rage, to encounters with store clerks, to telephone interactions, to social media flaming, we are rapidly becoming a culture where no one can talk to one another without the assurance ahead of time that you agree with one another completely. And so what you do is you enter into this conversation, you go, well, are you, are you, what do you think about mass? Oh, good, you don't like mass either. You know, or what do you think about it? Oh, you like mass. Okay, good, good, good. You know, we, we, we do this little test the waters thing. Now, we can't change the culture but we can work out our own salvation in this area by living in a completely countercultural way. I know emotions can be strong about all kinds of issues, but particularly on the issue of every one of us knowing exactly what the protocols ought to be regarding COVID. But let's remind ourselves, no matter what side of that question we're on, that as believers, we are called to be an outpost of heaven representing Jesus Christ to this earth. We're an ambassador for Jesus Christ on this earth, and the rapid insistence of our own way is not the way of Jesus Christ. So, if we wonder why we struggle poorly, we wonder why our children struggle poorly, it's not because you're not getting your way. It's because we've not learned Paul's secret of contentment no matter what. We've not allowed Jesus Christ to pour His strength into us. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And it's very easy when we get highly frustrated about not getting our way in one thing or another to communicate even without even knowing we are, to communicate that frustration to our children in such a way that they mirror our pain and end up living the same frustrated lives that we do. When our boys were little, we lived in a third world country, Bolivia, the second poorest country in the Western hemisphere. And there were all kinds of challenges with it, all kinds, you know, diseases, problems, uh, tons. There were also great delights. Life in the mountains of the Andes had its own adventures and joys. And what happened was we were in a community where many people in our community were there because their employer made them go to Bolivia. So there they are in this country, not wanting to be there. And so then all they do is spend their time complaining about where they are and why they don't like it, and they without even knowing it, are communicating that same poor attitude to their children. So their children are struggling, and they don't like it either and all that. And Carol was determined that our boys would love Bolivia. So she put them on all kinds of crazy adventures where they found great delight in living in the Andes. Um, one of the things that we discovered was when people's time of, of service with their employer was over in Bolivia, and they would go back to the States, they would write us, and they say, oh, we really miss Bolivia, you know, and we miss this and that and the other thing, you know, and you think, that isn't how you talked when you were actually here. And there are many people, even believers, who live their lives that way. Everything about their present life is awful and horrible, and I don't know why it's so bad. And everything about their past, they go, oh, I wish we could be back here at this thing. But when they were back there at that thing, they hated it. Struggling well means learning how to live with hardship. 14 through 20, struggling well means generosity, even when it is hard to do. When we give to the Lord's work, we are making a faith statement that God will take care of us. To be sure, when we're giving to the Lord's work, it's an act of worship. We'll get to that in a second. But when we give to the Lord's work, we're making a faith statement that we ourselves aren't taking care of ourselves, but God is taking care of us. Verse 14 may be one of the most important to Paul's line of thought here. He says yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It acknowledges that others' troubles may exceed our own, and we struggle well when we share together with others' troubles. There's this word of sharing together with. And Paul has a partner here in his troubles. There's nothing like that to experience that others know and care. Now, verse 15, just because sharing with others troubles in gospel work is unusual doesn't mean we should avoid it. In fact, it means all the more we should engage in it. If we don't do it, it won't be done. He says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, I had no churches supporting me except you guys. The Philippians were alone in their financial support of Paul. The expression is palpable, isn't it? No church entered into partnership with me. Let that sit on your mind for a little bit. And sadly, this is the common state of the American church today, with its emphasis on keeping everything about what happens in-house. And if there's any thought of an outside thought, it's about short-term missions. Our focus here at East White Oak is exactly the opposite, to have greater partnership with missionaries that we send out. You know, there's three ways to do missions today. There's the mile wide and an inch deep plan where you got tons of people that you support at little bits amount. Then there's a second one that I'll use uh, 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 Chronicles of Narnia expression, the dwarfs are for the dwarfs. We're just going to take care of, of our, our situation, our ministry. And then the third is deep partnerships with those whom we love, have nurtured, and send. And that's what's happening here. There's a love and nurturing relationship that is a partnership. No church except you only. What an indictment. He adds, even in Thessalonica, even when I was fairly local, even when I was only 95 miles away, you sent me help for my needs, not just once, But over and over, once and again, there's regular, repeated giving. This is an unusual mark of friendship between Paul and the church at Philippi. Because when he was at Thessalonica and when he was at Corinth, he didn't even bring up his financial needs, even though he had them. He made a point not to ask them for money because he did not want to confuse the himself with the religious manipulators who were in it for the money. But the fact that he has this partnership with the Philippians suggests that there is a special relationship of friendship that he has with them that he didn't possess with the people at Thessalonica and Corinth, especially when it comes to Corinth. Corinth was a place that was wealthy. It had tons of money. And you know what? The more money you got, the more more money matters to you. (laughs) And so he's not even going to ask him for money. Here at Philippi, which was a relatively poor place, here they are sending him offerings over and over. Now talking about money by a person at the receiving end can be viewed as manipulation for personal gain. But Paul wants to reveal the true heart of talking about financial support. Look at verse 17. I'm not seeking the gift. Paul's not saying that I'm I'm looking for more support from you. I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. There's fruit that goes from God to the giver. That's not the motivation of the gift, nor is it the goal of either the gift or the recipient. But there is Fruit for being generous in support of God's work. There is a return on this investment. And so, Paul in verse 18 now gives a report on his personal financial condition. This, by the way, is something that missionaries typically are reluctant to do. But Paul's not reluctant. Here's some dangers. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. Here's some dangers. Missionaries are afraid that if they're doing well financially and they tell their supporters that, that people will stop supporting them. Missionaries should not get the last dregs on everything. If they have something nice, be glad about it, not resentful. Chances are good that you have something nice that they don't have. Uh, It's also true that some mission agencies are built on the notion that you don't tell people your financial status one way or the other. Asking for gifts in this view is a lack of trusting the Lord. Uh, And sadly, sometimes, it's not always true, but sometimes the missionary who's most lacking in funds is the one who gets the greatest support. In other words, church looks, what's the greatest need? We'll give them more money. And perhaps that's a good thing, but it also is possible that the missionary is lacking in funds because they're really not a very good missionary. And to complicate matters even more, some missionaries get support because they're good talkers, not good doers. I know missionaries who get great financial support because they know how to craft a great story. I know other missionaries who are amazing missionaries but they simply do not have the communication skills to develop support. So what does Paul do? He gives a report. His condition is good, full support and more, well supplied. Why? Because he's received the gifts that the Philippians had sent with Epaphroditus. Finally, he got well enough to get back there to Rome. Paul regards these gifts not as gifts to him, but as a sacred trust. Do you see how he uses the language of the temple here? It is a fragrant offering. These gifts are a fragrant offering. It goes up to God and is pleasing to Him. It is a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Note the Godward direction of Paul's thinking on this matter matter of financial support. Worship is at the heart of our financial support. As we give, we are at worship. So, I want to encourage you in this era where we do a lot of our giving online and we do giving by the offering boxes at the exits, as Pastor Traig will tell you in a moment, that my own practice is to seek each Sunday to take time, even if I'm not particularly having my gift being given online on that day… Chances are most of the time that's not happening on a Sunday. But every Sunday I take time to say, God, thank You for the privilege of worshiping You by having the means to give to You. There's a promise that attaches to giving that enables struggling well. Look at verse 19. The God of the receiver of the gifts will meet every need of the giver of the gifts. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying both of these ideas, that just as God has supplied my needs, he's going to supply your needs. God has supplied my needs through you, so my God will now meet your needs because you met my needs. It's both testimonial and a promise. But of greater importance to our encouragement is this phrase, according to His riches. The standard of God's riches in glory is the standard to which the promise is fulfilled. How can I know that my needs will be met? They will be met because I just have to look at the standard of God's supply, His riches in glory. My God, Will supply every need of yours. These concepts should bring great praise to our hearts. Notice He said, my God will supply all your needs in verse 19. Now He brings the phrase, our God, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Not just the receiver of the sacrifice, but He's a good Father. He gets the glory forever and ever. Our gifts will live on In the worship of God forever, our gifts will live on. You see, when we give to the Lord's work, we're making a faith statement that God will take care of us, but it's also an act of worship that will live on forever. Now, my question is, how much of that do you want to get in on? (laughs) How much do you want to get in on that? Recently, I've been watching movies and documentaries about the collapse of the housing market in 2007 and 2008. I don't know why I'm doing that. It may be because I think that there may be some hard days ahead. I don't know. But there's a lot of people who think, well, I'd better pull back. I'd better hold in now because there's some strange things going on. There's inflation and there's all this stuff and uncertainty and so I'd better hold on to it. And after all, how long do I know? I don't know how long I'm going to live. Am I going to outlive my money? You know, we got all these kinds of questions and we tend to pull back in. And I want to ask you the question, how much of God's supply do you want to get in on? It's abundance. And as for hanging on to it, I'll share with you this ditty, Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. In that regard, I am reminded of a story of a guy. I've told this story before. It's a guy who was so cheap, he didn't want to take the ambulance to 100 miles to a a more important hospital where he could get his heart work done. And this guy, uh, his wife says to me, you got to talk Willie into taking the ambulance down there. I can't, I can't check him out of the hospital and drive. I said, well, okay. I walk into the hospital room. Willie says, first thing, doesn't even say hi. says, you're not going to convince me to take no ambulance. I go, hello, Willie. <laughs> I said, I observe that your wife, Frida, is a beautiful woman. His eyes got real big, like I did something really offensive to say that, you know. I said, so if you die between here and Indianapolis, she's going to marry somebody else, and that guy is going to spend all your money. (laughs) (laughs) And his wife said to me later, I don't know what you said to Willie, but he's taking the ambulance. (laughs) Struggling well means generosity even when it is hard to do. Finally, we are in verses 21 to 23. Struggling well means welcoming every saint with warmth and grace. Notice what it says here. It's a command. We tend to look at these last verses and go, okay, he's done. It's just ordinary stuff that he always says at the end. We don't care about that. No, 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 care about it because there's a command here. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say greet all the saints. It's greet every saint. No one is left out in Christ Jesus' New Testament shorthand for genuine believers. Notice the importance of greeting. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, I think what it means is not that every person should make sure that every other person gets greeted, but no one should come to worship and not greet somebody else, and no one should leave without being greeted. And by greeting, it means an actual interest in and taking part and an engagement in the person's life, not just, hi, how are you? Hope you're fine. I got to go. When we think that worship consists only of coming in here and singing and praying and, and, and hearing the Scriptures, and it's all of that, but then we make a bolt out for the parking lot without caring about anybody else or knowing who they are even. We are sinning against this verse. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. It should be our habit to think about how do I greet people? And here's a couple questions that you might want to ask if you're thinking, I don't know how to do that. Go up to somebody and say, hi, my name is... and. Fill in the blank of your name (laughs) and then say, what's on your plate for this next week? How can I be praying for you? You'll be amazed at the things that open, the opportunities for you to care for someone else. I just want to encourage, you might say, well, I'm not an extrovert. Look at those six words there in verse 21, the first sentence. It doesn't say, all you extroverts… Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. We did a study once and we found out that most of our church is made up of introverts. I asked for a raise of hands. How many of you are extroverts? And it was like five people that raised their hands. Um, This is an opportunity for us to obey the scripture. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. There's an importance, and by the way, if you're looking for tools, there's a conference on Saturday about greeting, and I would encourage you to sign up for that conference so that you can learn more about greeting, especially newcomers, but everybody. There's some wonderful tools that you're going to get. Free conference, five bucks, something like that. I don't know what it is. It's, there's details. I don't know what that is. So, but It's not. It, it, you can do it. Second, the brothers who are with me greet you. There's a caring fellowship that's expressed in word, but lived out in action. All of Paul's uh, uh, associates are saying, we want to greet you. We care about you. And then this verse, verse 22, all the saints greet you. No one is left out at this end either, Paul's saying, and especially those who are in a fascinating realm, Caesar's household. In Caesar's house, there were either relatives or slaves or free workers or soldiers or people in the government bureaucracy who were believers in Jesus Christ who are sending their greetings. A number of years ago, we had uh, Stephen Baldwin, the actor, one of the Baldwin brothers, come and share at our church, uh, at a church outreach up in the Quad Cities. He told his testimony of how he came to know Jesus. Uh, His wife was a believer in Christ. And uh, she's Brazilian, and uh, she had this. Um, she got a, a maid that came from Brazil to clean their house, and so this maid was there, and um, she played Christian praise music all the time. Drove Baldwin nuts. He just is like telling his wife, "Fire this girl! What? Tell her not to play this stuff. I don't want to hear it." And. Stephen Baldwin's wife said, well, tell her yourself. So he goes to her and he says, I want you to stop with the praise music. She says, ha, you think I'm here to clean your house. I am not here to clean your house. My church sent me, they commissioned me as a missionary to go to your house to tell you about Jesus. So I'm going to keep telling you about Jesus. Jesus. And she kept telling him about Jesus, and she kept playing her praise music, and Stephen Baldwin became a believer in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Even in Caesar's household, there are people who are believers in Christ. And then over all this, put on grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God's grace be with your spirit. Paul's a thankful man. He lived what he taught. He says... I rejoiced in the Lord greatly in verse 10. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble in verse 14. And he says, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. He lived what he taught. He said not to be anxious, but to pray. He said to think and do Christ-centered, gospel-oriented things, and he did. In those, both the peace of God and the God of peace are promised, and he experienced them personally. He's personally living out this way of struggling well. It's not without struggles, but it's struggling well. And how? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I was a kid, there was a a hymn that I didn't understand one of the words in the last verse. It was the hymn moment by moment. And, uh, Ira Sankey tells the story that when he was attending the World's Fair in Chicago, there was a lay preacher from London who said to another of his associates, a guy named Whittle, he says, I don't like the hymn, I need the every hour very well, because I need him every moment of the day. And so Whittle went home and wrote this hymn moment by moment. And his daughter, May, who was later to marry D.L. Moody's son composed the music. Here's the phrase with the word I didn't understand. Never a weakness that he doth not feel, never a sickness that he cannot heal, moment by moment in woe or in weal. Jesus, my Savior, abides with me still. <clears throat> I thought, I mean, I'm just a little guy. I'm like, in woe I understand, in wheel, what do wheels have to do with abiding in Christ? But the word wheel is W E A L. It's the word we get the word wealth from. In good times, in woe or in wheel, bad or good, Jesus my Savior abides with me still. And may that be so that will characterize every part. Of our struggling well. Father, we ask today that you would help us in our struggles to do them well. We invite the Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen us. In his name we pray. Amen.